0: Hi, this is Mark Vina with more insights and strategy. Today is February twenty first, two thousand nineteen. Um, uh, haven't done a podcast for a few months, but uh, there's some big news going on right now in the consumer technology marketplace, and I th- thought it'd be an ideal time to kick the uh, the podcast um, uh, series off again for more insights. And today, I'm very pleased to have with me on the podcast uh, Rob Peg- uh, Pegararo. Uh, who many of you uh, I'm sure know, He's he's been a frequent contributor for um, USA Today. He actually writes frequently for Yahoo Finance. I've known Rob for a couple of years and found him to be a very engaging guy when it comes to consumer technology topics of really all types. And um, Sadly, we have one thing in common. Both our football teams uh, did really lousy uh, last year. I'm a Giants fan, and Rob, if I remember correctly, you're a Redskins fan.
1: Yeah, but people expect my city's teams to do badly because it is deservedly <laughs> cursed. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, let's hope the uh, let's hope the New York Giants do a little bit better. They got got a good year uh, out of Barkley this year, so we'll see if that uh, translates into more success um, for the next season. So anyway, what I'd like to do, you know, there, there is, you know, I have a, a few topics I want to roll through. But uh, Rob, you wrote something recently that I found very interesting in the you know the smart home security space when it comes to um, uh, webcams and, and, and products of that like. I want to go into that yeah. a bit. Could you talk a little bit about that? I found that very interesting.
1: So, yeah, the, we're talking about the uh, the initiative to shame retailers. Into, yes. Uh,
0: yeah, I thought that was very interesting.
1: Right. Yeah, so a little thing that came around a couple of weeks ago, Mo- the Mozilla Foundation and the Internet Society and I think nine other nonprofit public interest groups Posted a letter to you know four big retailers Amazon Best Buy Target Walmart saying please don't sell Internet of Things smart home gear that doesn't meet these five requirements and they're all mm-hmm. basic stuff like you know encrypt your communications have a strong password that's not identical to every device that you can change easily have a process for ending vulnerability reports you know let users take hold of their data you know the the, the usual stuff you would expect. Which I think is a great idea and I like the idea of sort of going after the stores where most people are likely to buy this stuff. Mm -hmm. The problem as I found out when talking to the people at Mozilla and the Internet Society, there isn't any one list of stuff that's good or Mm -hmm. a blacklist of stuff you should avoid. Mm -hmm. Uh, Best you can do, there's a a list that Mozilla maintains called Privacy Not Included. I believe it's privacynotincluded.org. Where they go through it, so I think it's about 87 or so devices, and they say, you know, does it meet these requirements? And if it does, it gets a stamp of approval. And you can see that, for instance, the Amazon Echo gets a thumbs up because it does meet those basic requirements they laid out. Some things don't. The weird thing is you can then see how visitors to the site rate these devices in terms of their creepiness. So things like this uh, security camera Amazon sells, they say it's security compliant according to these principles – Users rated it super creepy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So it's tough. You, You look at this, you're like, okay, this will sort of help me if I'm just starting out building out a smart home. But pretty soon you'll exhaust the limits of this. And then you have to go through and look at spec sheets for products and quiz the manufacturer. And they won't tell you how they handle vulnerabilities. It's a big mess.
0: Right. And, and you're also talking about products that come from the major big players. When you look at the, right. the smart home landscape, and there's a, you know, since I cover that space like you do, I mean, there is a humongous flood of, of, of webcam solutions and products from overseas, you know, specifically from China and Taiwan and the like. And none of the, I am sure that the majority of those products don't do a... Do a, a, a uh, even minuscule things to protect, you know, your security. In fact, there's been, you know, lots and lots of coverage about many of the products. The password to get into them is password, you know. So, <laughs> it, and, and, yeah. and 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 it, and it's really, really a scary idea. And as a, as alluring as the smart home category is, I mean, these are these are a big, big holes in the security landscape when you make that consideration that you want to put a smart home capability into your home.
1: Yeah. And so I mean, that's one reason why my smart home purchase has been really limited. We have some of those Phillips hue light bulbs, just the, 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 the white ones you can change their their brightness, but that's it not right. different colors. right. Uh, we have an Amazon echo that we got for free from Verizon when they, they had us. I think they thought we were a new customer or something not we've been their customer for like eight years. Mm-hmm. So they gave us a really good deal, faster speed, lower price. and here, here's a free echo on us.
0: right. Right. Yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing, you know, that uh, you have to, you know, go down this path really to protect yourself. But, uh, you know, sometimes the glamour of, you know, being able to turn your lights on or, 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 or see something that's going on in your home gets outweighed by the fact that there might be nefarious characters out there, um, you know, hacking into your stuff. So it's, it's a real scary situation that really should be on the, on the, on the front end of everybody's um, radar screen when they're considering these type of solutions. And I, I thought your column was very, very timely in that regard. Thank you. You know, so so I want to shift gears a little bit here uh, and talk about um, a, you know a topic that's close to my heart, uh, and that is cord cutting. You know, as everybody knows, yes. cord cutting continues to be a, a, a is happening at really a warp nine level speed. Uh, the uh, the traditional cable and satellite providers are losing hundreds of thousands of um, subscribers uh, per quarter, and it's been going on for some time now. It's been going on you know at almost a record pace for three or four years. You know what, what's called over-the-top uh, video streaming, which is really a, um, it's a $10 way of saying, hey, I'm streaming video content from a different source, whether it be Netflix or Hulu or, or other types of um, uh, premium services that you can subscribe to are obviously becoming a lot more popular. But um, I want to get your take on cord cutting and kind of where things are, Rob. I mean, if you're, you're like, I'm sure you're like me, that you get a lot of inquiries from people, meaning, yep. hey, is it, time, is it time to cut the cord, and how do I do that in a smart way?
1: yeah so it, it has gotten a lot easier we cut the cord you know when it was still pretty underground we're, we're hipster cord cutters uh, <laughs> it was back in 2009 i think yeah so it'll be just about 10 years where you know we decided as a, what precipitated us for us was our dish network dvr dying mm-hmm. so suddenly we no longer had to worry about how do we deal with these 30 hours of recordings how do we get them somewhere else because we wanted to you know the we were looking to see what other services we should get, so it was like, well, let's see how it goes. So these days, you can get most of the stuff you want. Uh, certainly, the, weirdly enough, the easiest part is the sort of staple cable channels—the things mm. you buy cable or satellite to get. ESPN, no problem. AMC, sure, got it. Right. Um, the news channels—I don't know why you want to listen to them these days—but you can get them too. <laughs> um, local has been slower to come along, and it does. Your availability varies. Someone at CNET put together a Google Docs spreadsheet listing exactly which local channels are on which of the over-the-top linear TV streaming services, and you know dozens of markets, and mm. it's a mess. Right? Uh, PBS, weirdly enough, is not on any streaming services yet. They are working on it. I did a piece for a trade publication, Fierce Video, a few weeks ago, and they said, you know, yes. It has not escaped their attention that we're not on these things. It's a mix of licensing issues and mm-hmm. PBS's is sort of federal structure. But WGBH, the affiliate in Boston, they say they hope to be on one or two OTT services this fall. Uh, the last nut to crack. We started out mentioning sports. You know, spring training has started baseball, mm-hmm. and hope springs eternal.
0: <laughs>
1: <Not hoping laughs> and if you're a Washington Nationals fan, so does the annoying reality that. The team will not let me pay to watch them unless I sign up for a traditional cable or satellite package. They're one of only five or six in baseball that is still in this self-defeating, self-destructive, pointless holdout. No one can quite figure out why. Part of that, it is because that, that, they've got this weird ownership that, that, structure. But
0: yeah, yes. that, that's, they're, they're not on MLB.com. I, I did not
1: know. Uh, so, I'm sorry. I should say that they're not. They're not on MLB TV. If you are a fan of the Nats. In the DC area or oh, you're watching well, them on the road. So it's right. the whole out of market access. Well, yeah, Black Because originally MLB.TV was sold as you know, you can, you know, you're a Red Sox fan in exile. You can watch the team. Yes. No problem.
0: Correct.
1: Um, but cord cutting is reality. And now most teams, the regional sports networks have signed deals to put themselves in OTT services. Last year, mm-hmm. the Mets, Sports New York, They signed their deal, I think, a day or two before opening day. Mm -hmm. So there's just a handful out there. And that, you know, right now, I don't have a great answer for that. Wow. What we do, we've – my wife and I, a group of friends, have been on a 20-game season ticket plan since the Nats came to town in 2005. So most of the games we watch, we watch with our eyeballs (laughs) in the cheap seats (laughs) at Nats Park. Uh, And the others we watch through the magic (laughs) of radio. Mm-hmm. We have a couple of really good play-by-play guys in DC. Right. I hope that'll change, but local sports are still the sort of toughest part of the cord-cutting conundrum.
0: Well, that would be enough for me not to become a Nats fan if I could, because you know, like you, I'm a crazy <laughs> baseball fan. I live out in I've been out in California for the last 13 years, and you know, I you know faithfully subscribe to the. Um, the MLB TV package, which is I don't know, eighty bucks a month. I mean, eighty bucks a season, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And, and it's, it's a god. Right. And, and, and it's a godsend, you know. I mean, but because I have to watch my uh, my Yankees, um, you know, every day, and you know, baseball is almost an everyday type of sport, and that would drive me crazy yep. if I had to become that creative to watch my team. So, I think you should join the Yankee um, uh, fan te- uh, fan system. <laughs> that would be that would, that would be my no solution. way. <laughs>
1: Well, I mean, it know, does crack me up. Yes, the Yankees Regional Sports Network, they did this a while ago. So, you know, no one can accuse the Yankees of being bad at capitalism. So if they've decided <laughs> that they can make money in this future, the rest of baseball should get with the program.
0: But but aren't uh, – so the Nats are not even broadcast locally on local so, –
1: A handful of games every year. It's not that many. Really? And it's got to change. So one surprising thing that happened around D.C. sports, our soccer franchise, D.C. United – they essentially cut their own cord. They mm-hmm. decided not to renew their existing sports distribution deals. I think they were on Comcast Sports Network. And instead, most of their matches are going to be on an online-only channel where you pay to watch that. I think if you're a member of their uh, one of their supporters clubs, you get a discount. So they've sort of gone the other way around to say, we don't want any part of this existing thing. We're going to over the top. And there may be, be a handful of games on over the air TV.
0: Right. Well, see, I, I find this really fascinating because, you know, kind of a tangential topic to this is the topic of OTA. Television, which I've been a big fan of because most people, believe it or not, even though you've been able to do this since about 2000 uh, with the right, you know, most uh, digital TVs that have the, or most TVs I should say that have a digital tuner, you can actually attach an antenna to it and get, and and take in, you know, your local 40, 50 local channels, which are by the way, being broadcast broadcast in HD and you can enjoy all that local content. It's all the local, you know, the the local um, networks, uh, ABC, CBS, um, um, and uh, the like. Uh, even PBS, by the way, is broadcast on yep. an o- OTA local basis. Um, and uh, some of the solutions out there are really marvelous to use. And they, they've cracked the nut. You know, the big feature that most people want with either OTA or even OTT streaming, but especially OTA streaming, is that you want to have DVR capability. And more, more yep. and more of the products like Air uh, Air TV, which is uh, offered by uh, Dish Networks, and uh, there's a fabulous Sling, product, yeah. the Sling product. There's a fabulous product out there uh, called Tableau, which is I think one of the be- better solutions out there that has actually four tuners into it. So not only can you watch television, uh, frankly, um, uh, you know, you can stream it when you're um, at home. You can stream it outside your home, very much like the old Sling boxes from years ago, where you can enjoy your content, your local content, wherever you are. Uh, so, um, but. Um, but I guess that kind of solution wouldn't work for you personally because if the, if there's only a handful of games being broadcast uh, in the... Right. Uh, we, we do actually know,
1: have pretty good over-the-air reception. That was one thing that, that made it a little bit easier knowing that, well, you know what? Right now, at the time, we were paying Dish Network and only getting standard definition. Right. But, well, with an antenna, we'll get high def for free. Right. And, you know, the reception can be a little bit wonky. Some stations are have a better signal than others, and... You know, the, there is a next-generation TV broadcast standard that's been years and years delayed that will supposedly fix all these things and give right. you 4K over-the-air. But, yeah, if you can get over-the-air reception, you really should check it out. That will greatly simplify the issue. It, it just means there's more pressing of the input button on your remote to switch between over-the-air broadcasts and whatever streaming apps on whatever boxes you have plugged into your, your TV.
0: Right, right. So are, so when you recommend someone uh, to friends and family by cutting the cord, are you recommending the, to consider OTA or is it purely an OTT yeah. conversation?
1: It's mostly – OTA usually figures into it. It does depend on where they're at. You know, mm-hmm. If someone is going to be you know, like 20 miles outside of the city and maybe they don't have the ability to put an antenna up on their roof or right. their attic, say if they're in an apartment building, that might not work for them. Uh, mm-hmm. If they don't want to watch TV at all, the, the hardest part of you know, OTT, cord-cutting salesmanship, is the part where I have to be like, well, first, let's fill out a spreadsheet. People <laughs> love that, let me tell you. Right. <laughs> but really, yeah. you do need to budget what stuff you actually care about watching and then figure out how do you get it between all these different services, You know, between Sling TV, TV Now, PlayStation View, Hulu with live channels, and YouTube TV. You know, the pricing is often pretty similar, but it is going to vary in terms of what local channels they have if you want them. You know, what are they? Do they include your regional sports network? You know, do they have different tiers that will save you money? Or are they trying to really recreate the traditional cable bundle and all of its $60 a month and up majesty?
0: Well, and strangely and strangely enough, I mean, the, the research has shown over and over again that most people, even when they have a cable system or they have a satellite description and they subscribe to 200 channels, let's say, for the sake of argument, most research um, indicates that, mo- uh, that the majority of people watch the same t- uh, 20, sub-20 channels um, 90% of the time so i Same. think what you yeah. I, I think what you said at the beginning is very very important is that as much of it is kind of a pain is that you, know, you take a, take a, a pad of paper and over the course of a week or a couple of weeks just notate what channels you're watching and i think most people will be surprised you know and that will help you kind of kind of sort through you know should i get sling tv should i subscribe to you um to a youtube uh their tv streaming service should i go to hulu because all of them have a lot some of them have a lot of um you know, content crossover, you know, they cover the same yep. type of channels, but some of them in many cases have different, um, they cover different channels and different levels of content. And that's really important. So the the, the one thing I would say, uh, there's an initiative out there called flexview.tv, which is a website, it's a consortium of eight or nine different, you know, fi- uh, fairly high flyers in the cord cutting space, is part of it. Uh, Pixelworks is part of it. They make the transcoder technology that makes a lot of the cor- the uh, video transmission solutions possible, and, and several others. and that, that website does a really good job of educating people on what the right products and right solutions to look at. So I encourage people to um, check out Flex- FlexView.TV when they get a chance. That's but here's well, the topic
1: I'll check it myself.
0: Yeah, but here's a topic, Rob, that I want you to, because I know you're very fond of this, fond of it. You and I have talked about this. Um, <laughs> I <laughs> know this what's is, coming. Uh, I Here it comes. The the, the the you could write a book. You could make a movie out of this title, the coming of AK. And uh, you know, you know, every trade show you go to, you can't, you couldn't go to CES, you couldn't go to many of the trade shows that uh, Rob and I have gone to over the last couple of years without thinking that you know AK is going to take over the world. So, and we obviously know that that really hasn't happened uh, so far. So, I want to get your take on kind of where AK is is right now, Rob, and kind of do you see some um, a light at the end of the tunnel for those 8K uh, enthusiasts this year?
1: It, it could be a train that's at the end of the tunnel, bear in mind. <laughs> um, so, yeah, like... I, I've said many mean things about 8K. I, I don't want to deny 8K resolution's right to exist. But as a consumer mass market product, I don't see its reason to exist. Mm-hmm. Look at 4K. First of all, if you're going to actually appreciate those extra pixels, and you're not a video file, You're not the kind of person who, you know, wishes they could go to CES every year. <laughs> <laughs> Listeners, you don't want to have to go to CES every year, honestly. <laughs> Logistics are not so great. Um <laughs> you need a sufficiently large screen to see 4K's resolution right. from your couch. So mm-hmm. you're talking like 50 inches minimum unless you're sitting like frighteningly close to the couch and no one can really walk in front of the TV from one side of the couch to the other. Um, 8K, that problem increases. Suddenly you need like a 70-inch screen or larger, which mm-hmm. is usually expensive. A lot of the rooms don't have that kind of space. Right. Second, what will you watch? 4K, it's amazing how well it's done considering that, cable has yet to give 4k the time of day Mm -hmm. you know there's no over the air broadcasts you've got some 4k stuff on blu-ray discs and otherwise it's streaming which itself requires you know a lot of bandwidth that many americans don't have at home yet 8k makes all those problems look easy (laughs) you need Mm -hmm. exponentially more bandwidth there's no you know fixed storage standard to watch 8k stuff on at all uh no prospect of over the air channels and it looks like it reminds me not so much of HD or even the 4K launch, but of 3D TV where the industry said, well, here's the next best thing. Logically, it's got to be better, mm-hmm. but no. Do people actually want to pay to watch it? And in the case of 3D, they didn't. The stuff didn't sell. Uh, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of 3D-compatible sets. I know my my Blue, Blu-ray player will play 3D discs, but that's one feature on it that's never going to get used.
0: Well, and you know what's funny about it—you and know, I have talked about this before—is that it's becoming more and more difficult for the big TV manufacturers to really demonstrate in a very, you know, highly demonstrable, you know, very, um, you know, visceral way that you know these new resolutions that are appearing on the screen are better. And I mean, it was an easy sell when you went from in the late '90s to the early 2000s when you were going from SD to HD. I mean, or even to 720 for that matter, that was a big yeah. deal. It, w- it was noticeable. And by, and by the way, the content was starting to get broadcast in, in high def. You know, that makes a big difference. Just watching standard def content in 1080 or HD is not a very pleasant experience. You ha- and I think you're absolutely right that if the content is not there, especially from a broadcast standpoint – it's you know it, it really is done uh, it's not a wonderful experience but that was dramatic and you know especially from a professional sports standpoint you know tr- you know go look at a football game that was broadcast in 1995 and then watch a broadcast a game today and you know it's almost like you're on planet neptune the experience is i remember so watching
1: the super bowl on hd for the first time like 2000 2001 and yeah game changer
0: it's like why would you go to a game you know, that, seriously, why would you well, go to a cheaper. game? Well, that's expensive. But I think it's become much tougher now. And I think there are two factors. What you said, you know, going from 4K to 8K, even when you get a, uh, optimized 8K content, you kind of got to struggle to see the differences. I'm not saying you can't see the differences, but, you know, you got to struggle with it. You have to have it in a format that's 50 inches or bigger. And, you know, a lot of people don't have homes that are that large yep. to have a 50-inch display. But the other factor is, and this is to me, and you and I talked about this before. You know, there are companies that have come out of left field, uh, like TCL, for example, yep. that have really created a huge market by going, you know, after that, you know, a customer who really wants, you know, the latest and greatest features with 4K offers really great TV technology. They do a nice job of embedding Roku technology in all their TVs, which I'm a big yep. fan of. But they do it at value prices, and you know, they sell a 65-inch uh, Series six TV right now for under a thousand dollars, which will blow you away. I mean, it, it wins most of the contests against you know the likes of Sony and, and Samsung and others who usually charge at least a thousand dollars more for the same type of TV, same size. So, you know, I, I I think AK will eventually come down the path. I think until the broadcast industry gets serious about it and and does t- makes all the infrastructure changes that you have to make, which are expensive, to provide that. But I, I still think it's probably going to be at least a couple years out before you start to see really any meaningful traction on it. You know, that's my uh, my two cents. Um, and
1: I'm even less optimistic about it. <laughs>
0: I'm being nice, <laughs> but you know,
1: the plenty of good TVs you'll be able to buy in the next few years. So don't don't feel beat up about 8Ks uh, fading in the market.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. And by the way, you know, a, a 4K TV is a, is an electrifying experience. So I don't want to downplay the the value of a 4K either. But speaking of downplaying and upplaying and, you know, just playing a, a, um, all different things is that um, I, I got a chance yesterday to be at the big Samsung S10. Oh, right. Excellent. In fall, fall event in San Francisco. And, uh, you know, it's, it's funny. I've been to many, many big, big company announcements. I've been to several big Apple announcements. Uh, the Samsung was the first one of, uh, that I've attended, and, and it was easy for me because it was in downtown San Francisco, and I got to say it was over the top. I mean, in terms of just, it, when I contrasted, because it wasn't just for me, it's just not about the product. It's about the presentation, The the the, the uh, because every word at these, uh, at these big announcement events are scrutinized and scrubbed. And, yep. you know, being on stage, you know, is, is a big deal from a career standpoint for many of these people. And I have to say, I was very impressed with the Samsung event. It had a lot of the, you know, the kind of hallmarks that you typically see in an Apple event. But it was it was more of a Broadway show type of presentation that there was a lot of special effects and they had these enormous screens all over the place. But I um, want to get your thoughts, though. I'm I'm, curious, I'm sure you've read about it over the last 24 hours, Rob. What's your thoughts on the S10? Do you think it's going to move the needle? Um, and what's your thoughts, by the way, on the big the big news? Of course, was the foldable phone, right? Yeah, as, as, as it's a brand new category. But you know, give me your two cents and where you think that's headed.
1: So yes, I did watch along, I have to admit, I missed the first 10 minutes. So if, if there was an actual Broadway song and dance there, I really regret <laughs> I will have to catch that on a replay. So yeah, the S10 seems to me like, you know, a good incremental update. I like the fact that <laughs> this is the hell I'm gonna die and It has a headphone jack. So it's not <laughs> making people buy new stuff to replace uh, the stuff they already own. Right. Uh, so that's good. They're not, you know, inconveniencing their users. Um you know, the new camera sounds nice. I don't know that I need an Instagram mode of my camera. I mean, the whole point of Instagram is you just take a picture and you slap it online. You're not overthinking the whole process. Right. And if you have to switch to a different mode in the camera to do that, that's not so Insta. Mm-hmm. Um, the the way it works, it charges cordlessly and recharges other devices cordlessly. One thing I haven't liked about every smartwatch I've tried is you have to bring its own proprietary charger. And you've got to recharge it every day because, you know, no one likes battery life. Well, mm. this thing, you can put the smartwatch on the back of the phone yes. and recharge it. And someone tested it. Apparently, you can use an S10 to charge an iPhone 10. X, yeah, I saw which that. is yes. very public spirited. I like that. Yes.
0: I, I, I think it was Joanna Stern from the Wall Street Journal. I think she had that in her piece, if I'm not mistaken. But, it, yes. you, you know, it's funny. There was a lot of little things about it. That I thought were very practical, meaning that you know they, they call it power share, that ability to stack your devices yeah. and you can share everything. I think that's I don't know if it's brilliant, but it's certainly you know for anybody who travels like you and I, and you have you know you feel like you're Batman because you've got so many cables uh, you know yep. and you're, you, you, that you got to carry along with you. So that's nice. Another you know, USB-C devices, which is you know quickly becoming kind of the new power and interface yep. standard on most laptops and and uh, even tablets and phones. Um, so I thought that was terrific. I did like the feature that, um, they have a feature and I forget what they called it, but they, they have a feature where you can do wide angle photos by, by, by not having to move, right, yeah. you know, you, you, you could, you know, of course you could do that on the iPhone 10, but you have to move along, you know, uh, in a fairly, Careful manner as you kind of rotate the camera from left to right, and it works nice because it adjusts for stabilization. But Samsung has a way of doing it because they've got, they've got six cameras built into the phone that they can do in a way where you don't have to move at all. And I think that's a, that was a very very nice feature. So I was impressed with that. Um the, the, but I, I but one one thing I do want to ask you about though is do you think the foldable category. Is going to be a, a, a big deal. because and what, and what was interesting to me, I'll just say one last thing before I ask for your comment, yeah. Rob, is that strangely enough, they spent 20 minutes on the, fo- on, the, on, the, uh, on the fold phone right up front. But they did not have any devices in the media area for you to evaluate. And I was dying to see one because my big deal with it is the hinge design. I mean, are you going to be able to break it easily? Because, you know, there are going to be people out there. They're going to they're going to test that. Can I follow the same things?
1: people who tried to bend their iPad, <laughs> their, yeah, iPhone? their
0: iPhone when they when yeah. I, Apple moved to the larger iPhones? Because, and, I, and of course, these Samsung engineers are smart and they'll, I'm sure they'll, they've anticipated that. But, you know, assuming that, you know, that it's a fairly, you know, rock solid and durable product, do you think that has the opportunity to be a new category? Do you think it, it expands the market beyond your classic, you know, large format smartphone?
1: opportunity, definitely. At $1,980, not so much. Uh, you know, for that, I, I would buy, you know, a, a mid-range phone, a mid-range tablet, and then another of each. So in case I crack the screen, it's it's still good. Uh, but no, I'm, I'm glad to see that kind of experimentation. If you can make that work and, and make it so that it's still sufficiently small, it looks like it's going to be on the thick side. Like, I don't know if that's going to not that I really wear skinny jeans these days, but I don't think it's <laughs> gonna fit in that kind of pocket. Right. Um, but you know, it's a one model. Let's see how it works. Um, yeah. well, I, I'm, I, I'm glad they're trying something new.
0: Well, and and honestly, you know, because I did a piece uh, for Good Morning America uh, last night about this. Is that what what really disturbs me? and you and I have talked. We, we had a long conversation on that plane ride back from Europe. Um, last yeah, that's year, right. Rob, is that, you know, there's this obsession. I, maybe obsession is the wrong word, but there's simple, certainly momentum within Apple now and Samsung of moving to these high-end price points, not just on the Fold. The Fold I, I get, you know, it's a premium device. It's, you know, it's it's you know, version 1.0, and that's a that's a fast follower. That's a leadership type of product. It's not a fast follower type of product. But the S10 and the S10 Plus, you know, along with the XS Max, are really products really right now that are really what I like to call Thurston Howell the Third, you know, <laughs> type of products. You have to be a billionaire, you know, uh, to, to to afford them. But it's you know, there's not a lot of people. That can afford to spend two grand every twelve months or so. You know, there is there are people out there that certainly do it, and you know, you and I. I write about this stuff
1: for a living, and I don't want to spend that kind of money. Yeah,
0: you know, and and so I I just wonder, you know, I mean, they obviously do the analysis whether well, if we sell more units at a lower price, we can deliver more margin with a higher price and lower units. Because I I've done that throughout my career, but but I don't know if it's a healthy thing, you know, and that and and again, I'm not. I'm not anti-capitalism. I'm pro-capitalism. People, they can charge whatever they want to for their phones. It's just that that there's some of those features, some of those premium features, people really like. And when you start talking about those kind of price points, you really lock out a big part part of the market.
1: Yeah. And so this is something I'm going to be looking for at Mobile World Congress in Barcelona next week Mm -hmm. to see who is – putting effort into making good value price middle of the market Android phones mm-hmm. uh, in particular the the Nokia brand that HMD Global has they've done really good work with Android in quality hardware with stock Android software the updates come about as fast almost as fast as on a Google pixel or whatever
0: mm-hmm. yeah
1: and you know at prices like 300 400 500 bucks that's interesting to me the, the right story going around that Google will have a Pixel 3 Lite that -hmm. won't be at the iPhone-esque price of the current Pixel 3. It'll even have a headphone jack, so they might have my business right there. That's interesting. (laughs) Um, You know, what other vendors are doing? Of course, Mm -hmm. the issue is some of these other vendors like Huawei and uh, ZTE, they're not winning any popularity contests in Washington these days. But, you know, there's a lot of stuff happening in the world, and A lot of it doesn't involve phones that sell for more than what many people are willing to pay for a laptop
0: right well and 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 strangely enough you know those devices the ones they announced yesterday they were they're 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 including now um flash storage um capabilities of a a terabyte one i think at the high end there was a model out there for 1.5 terabytes which is an, an enormous amount yeah. of local storage and you know and, and and again i when i ask when people ask me what smartphone to buy the first thing i say is that whatever model you buy don't buy anything smaller than 128 gig and in sometimes cases you should buy more but but one terabyte is a massive amount of storage and unless you're using that device you know for computing you know and Android, you can use it to
1: back up your laptop i guess
0: yeah well i think there's <laughs> less expensive ways of doing that but uh, but but it, it's very very interesting i'm the, the, the huawei comment you made I'm, uh, even if they gave gave me a a, a a huawei fold for free i'm not sure i would buy a product from huawei but that's why i'm speaking for myself i get uh, i'm a bit nervous with some of the issues that they've uh, they've been facing over the last um, uh, few months or so
1: yeah, I'm, uh, I'm wondering if they're going to address that at MWC. We'll yeah, have
0: to see. Uh, you'd have to see, but I, I, you know, you would think they would. They got to come out and, um, and really, um, really uh, set the table in terms of what they plan to do to overcome some of the the, the issues that the, that have been reported on them. And I think people are very, very skeptical, skeptical of buying any device from uh, Huawei. Uh, we only got a couple minutes left, uh, yep. Rob. Uh, what about you? See any smart home trends? that you think are interesting uh, over the next few months that you that's going to be on your radar screen?
1: Uh, so I'm kind of looking to see, you know, Amazon has come up with such a commanding lead in this category. You can, you know, command just about anything in your smart home through Alexa. You know, Apple is making this push. And, you know, one of the lesser known things that happened at CES, in addition to having a bunch of connected TVs from like Samsung and Sony and I think Vizio right. and LG, right, uh, that – support apple's airplay so you can stream from your iphone or your ipad to the tv to a samsung tv which is still crazy to me right uh some of them also include uh home support so you could in mm-hmm. theory use that to talk to other devices in the house yes uh and home is interesting to me because apple's trying to make this privacy optimized part mm-hmm. of their core sales pitch and then you have google assistant which you can also use to control so many devices um you know, it's it's good to have a three party competition, and to the extent that Apple makes HomeKit less and less, uh, this is only good if every device you own is an Apple device. That that's healthy, I think.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, and and just to you know you know put a but a bow on it, the, the area that I'm really going to be interested in this year. Is when Apple has their uh, WWDC, their developer conference in the June right. timeframe. It'll be interesting to see if they start to cross the Maginot line, so to speak, of allowing apps to run on the same app to run on both iOS and macOS. I mean, there's been a lot of talk about that. Yep. Uh, you know, they they've they've denied they've publicly denied uh, that that that's really in the in the in the future um, in the future from a roadmap standpoint. But uh, you know, things can you know can magically change at Apple very quickly. And the amount of resources they're spending on keeping iOS and macOS as distinctive platforms um, are becoming, you know, I think more and more tough, uh, to, tougher for them to do that from a, from a, from a management standpoint. So I would not be surprised if there's more spirited discussion on you know cross app um, app compatibility with both operating systems or the movement toward one operating system that encapsulates both. You know, so that'll right. Be interesting.
1: Well, then that makes me wonder when will we finally see an Apple laptop where you can, you can actually do what our kid now does instinctively, which is touch the screen to make things happen.
0: Yes. Well, for many, many years they've, you know, they, you know, the, you know, Microsoft championed that usage yep. model, you know, and uh, when I was at Synaptics, we used to call that the uh, gorilla mode, where you had to reach over the keyboard and touch <laughs> the keyboard. And, uh, you know, that's not really not a natural thing to do, yet there are some applications, though, even in a two-in-one convertible type of configuration that do make sense. But we'll see what happens. It'll be very interesting um, to see. But but that's all we have time for today. Rob, thanks very much for uh, calling in. It's always a pleasure to speak with you. Um, Thanks for having me. And, uh, uh, please find, uh, find, uh, more insights and strategy on LinkedIn and Twitter that we have, uh, you'll see in the, uh, text after the broadcast, uh, the, uh, uh, hashtags are where you can find us. Where can we find you, Rob?
1: You can find me on Twitter as at Rob Pegoraro. That's at R O B P E G O R A R O. And conveniently enough, first name, last name is also where you find me on the web, robpeguerrero.com, Facebook, LinkedIn as well. Flickr, you have it.
0: Great. Well, Rob, thanks very much, and everybody have a
1: great week. Thanks. Thanks.